Okay, y'all, so it begins. It begins <laughs> this morning. Are you ready? Here's what people are saying about the book of Revelation. Notice I said revelation, singular. It's not revelations, plural, which is important because this is one big revelation. This is not several revelations, okay? Uh, Harold Camping, well-known Bible teacher, radio Bible teacher, y'all know him, says revelation predicts the date of Jesus' second coming. So when is Jesus coming back? When's his second coming? When is the end of all things as we know it? Well, May 21st, 2011. That was seven years ago. We missed it. Thomas Paine, one of America's founding fathers, said about Revelation, it's a book of riddles that requires a revelation to explain it. Friedrich Nietzsche, one of the greatest shaping influences of Western philosophy, modern intellectual thought, he said about Revelation, it's the most rabid outburst of vindictiveness in all recorded history. George Bernard Shaw, some of you that are in the playwright world and the music world of that time, said, it's the curious record of the visions of a drug addict. <laughs> Tina Pippin, feminist New Testament scholar, says, it's a misogynist male fantasy at the end of time. Tim LaHaye wrote 14 best-selling books based off of Revelation. 62 million copies have been sold. The series has spent 300 weeks, that's 2,100 days, 5.75 years on the New York Times bestseller list. And of course, like you, you want to know what is number one on the bestseller list, don't you? Here it is. What to expect when you're expecting. <laughs> number one, it logged in at 607 weeks, almost 12 years on the bestseller list. Back to Left Behind series. The first book of the series was published six no, 23 years ago, and it still sells in the six figures annually. <laughs> CEO Mark Taylor of Tyndall House said, this book literally, this whole series launched Tyndale Publishing. When the first book came in and then the 14 after, it was the rise of Tyndale Publishing. One worldwide famous pastor said, in terms of its impact on Christianity, it's probably greater than any other book in modern times besides the Bible. Tim LaHaye told People Magazine that he discovered the original idea for Left Behind series while, quote, sitting on airplanes and watching pilots, I think to myself, what if the rapture occurred on this airplane? More locally, let's go more locally, shall we? Let's go Vernon Howe. Do you know who he is? David Koresh. Mount Carmel, Axtell, Texas. What, 20 miles from here? Well, he saw himself in the book of Revelation. Who did he see himself to be? The second coming of the Messiah, who was sent to engage and, and enter conflict against Babylon, which of course was the U.S. government at the time. Uh, noted New Testament specialist Luke Johnson says, few writings in all literature so, have been so obsessively read with such generally disastrous results is the book of Revelation. In the history of interpretation, it is largely a story of tragic misinterpretation. John Blake, reporting for CNN, wrote four big myths of Revelation, the book of Revelation. He writes, the Antichrist, the Battle of Armageddon, the dreaded horsemen of the apocalypse. You don't have to be a student of religion to recognize references from the book of Revelation. And why not? No other New Testament book reads like Le Revelation. The, the book virtually drips with blood and reeks with sulfur. At the center of this final battle between good and evil is an action hero like Jesus who's in no mood to turn the other cheek. End quote. 
Are you sure you're ready for the book of Revelation? Are you sure? Okay, well, there's one more thing before we begin. Uh, Those of you living in Hewitt and Robinson, I recommend you change your phone number from 666. Just saying. (laughs) Please stand for the hearing of God's word. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Oh Lord, uh, what a breathtaking book, and we, we thank you for this, and we ask that you would open our eyes, that you would grant the reality that's on these pages, that you would shine forth. Fill us with your spirit even now. Give us word Give us power, we ask in your name, amen. Okay, y'all, so why so much hysteria? Why so much weirdness? Why so much creepiness about the book of Revelation? You know what the answer is? Revelation reveals something absolutely deep and profound and defeating about all of us, every single person in this room. Remember, we've talked about if I take a cup of water and I hit it, water spills on the ground, and I ask you, why is there water on the ground? And you say, because you hit the cup. And I say, no, there's not water on the ground because I hit the cup. There's water on the ground because there's water in the cup. All my hitting did was reveal what's already there. The book of Revelation has this unique power of revealing us, revealing what's already there. And it reveals this this disturbing, defeated reality about all of us. And you know what that is? Every single person here and every single person on the planet is running scared. We're shaking in our pants. Look at verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. We're getting introduced to seven. Seven is a perfect number, complete number, a number of fullness. So it represents the historical churches that are being written, but it represents more than historical churches because it's a complete number. It represents the church through all generations. So when Jesus shows up in the first vision, he's walking amongst seven churches. He's not just walking amongst the seven historical churches. He's walking amongst his church. 
through all generations. So we have in chapters 2 and 3, seven specific letters to each of the seven churches, and the letter will end, every single one of them, all seven will end with these words, the one who overcomes, meaning the one who prevails, the one who conquers, the one who wins. But it's not just conquering and winning and prevailing on a sunny day. It's amidst terrors. It's amidst conflict. It's amidst running scared. The opposite of overcoming is being vanquished, being defeated. It's someone casting you to the ground and putting their foot right across your throat. It's over. Here's the point. Revelation is for anxious people. The book of Revelation is given to people who are running scared in life. So Revelation is saying, I'm going to be one of those honest, honest people that love you more than you love yourself. And Revelation is going to say, there really are monsters under your bed. But, but, I'm here to help you overcome them, not fear them. That's the book of Revelation. This means the book of Revelation is inviting you and me. This morning and for the rest of our time, it's inviting us to end running scared. Now I can see it on some of your faces, some of you... I know, and myself included, we have these seasons where we're just not so convinced because you feel deep in your bones, God doesn't seem to want to help me. In fact, um, my prayers make no difference at all. I feel forgotten, and quite frankly, I'm too tired and too weak to cry out anymore. Okay, so we're going to, I want us to gently, I want very gently, I want us to look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. God is begging us to read Revelation. Revelation is the only book in the Bible that begins with God begging you to read it. Do you see that word blessed? Blessed means happy. Happy means a full heart. Happy means an expanding heart. Happy means a heart filling with fullness, filling with flourishing. When you go into the Bible, it talks about places where you're made to lie down in green pastures, where you're sitting beside still waters. It's talked about when you're hemmed in and you're surrounded and your world just gets smaller and smaller. And maybe it's smaller in your head. Maybe it's smaller in your circumstances. Maybe it's smaller in your relationships, but everything is shrinking. And the picture here of a blessed, happy heart is God comes in, takes you out of that small place, and put you in a wide open field. It's when the psalmist cries out and says, oh, if I was a bird, I would fly away. And God says, little bird, I'm going to help you fly in Revelation. 
God is begging you and me to read Revelation. It's kind of almost the opposite, isn't it? Nobody wants to read Revelation. Except the kooks and the wackos and the weirdos, right? Which I'm being more and more convinced I want to be because they make a lot of money. Gosh, I mean, look at the movies, look at the... Okay, stop. He is here. He's begging us to read it so he can bless us. He's begging us to read it so he can expand your heart. He can fill you with fullness. In other words, he can end your running scared. Others of you are thinking, good night, Jeff. Are you absolutely crazy if you lost your mind? Ending fear? The Antichrist, the Battle of Armageddon, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the great red dragon, beast one, beast two, six, six, six. Revelation isn't ending fear. Revelation is adding fear, multiplying fear, outright paranoia fear. And I just want us to draw our attention to look at verse one. We are going to be always in the text in Revelation because we have to pay a special attention to the text. So you want an electronic device, you want a hard, one of those ancient things called books. You might want to have one of those. We have some of them there. We're always going to be going to it. So I want you to look at verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Literally, it says the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. The first word in the book is apocalypse of Jesus Christ. There's no the, it's apocalypse now, I want you to see, though, it's apocalypse of Jesus Christ. So the first thing we're going to note here, it's the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. It's not the apocalypse of the last times. It's not the apocalypse of the tribulation. It's not the apocalypse of the rapture. It's not the apocalypse of the beast. It's not the apocalypse of 666. It's the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. So the first thing we learn about this book is that it's primarily one big idea, not several, revelation, not revelations. One big idea. It's about Jesus. Not how things go down at the end. So let's go back to the word apocalypse, shall we? I love that word, don't you? Apocalypse does not mean, oh no, something terrible is about to happen, right? I told you all before, five years ago, I think it was, it was Belle, and she very seriously came up to me and said, Daddy, what are we going to do when a zombie apocalypse happens? And the first thing I said was, we're not watching Walking Dead anymore, honey. Now we're on like the seventh season, the eighth season. Good night. Okay. Okay, so you know what? A first century person, though, would not hear, oh, no, something terrible is going to happen. You know what a first century person would hear? This is what they would hear. Something's going to be unveiled. Something is hidden in a box, and the lid's going to be taken off the box, and we're now going to see it. Something's behind a curtain, and someone's going to pull back the curtain, and we're going to see it. Something that is hidden is about to break through. Is about to be, that's why we translate it, revealed, opened. Verse 1 reads, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. The revealing of Jesus Christ. In other words, the book of Revelation is Jesus breaking in for you. Jesus breaking through to you, Jesus coming to you, Jesus showing up. That's 
phenomenal. Revelation is not seeing fearful things. Revelation is seeing Jesus. This leads us to the number one implication of the whole book. It's the number one application for Revelation. It's the number one rule for reading Revelation. If we miss this rule, you will misinterpret and misread Revelation. You can put yourself with the weirdos if you misfeel this rule. What is the book of Revelation doing? Where is it going? What's it seeking to accomplish? Here it is, the number one implication. Sight before response. Sight before human response. Seeing before being and doing. Beholding before becoming and behaving. In other words, seeing Jesus ends running scared. Seeing Jesus is how you overcome. Seeing Jesus is how you win. Look at verse 1 again. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. So God gave Jesus this apocalypse of himself to do what? Do you see what the text says? See that word show? Underline it twice. Show to his servants. Okay. This is not one of the books I'm going to put out there for you. It's a 1,245-page commentary that could hurt you called on Revelations about this big. This guy, G.K. Beale, is probably the most thorough scholar on Revelation, but it's not one of those that I'm going to put out there and say, hey, for your reading of Revelation, read that. There are much better theological, concise books that you can read, and we'll get some up there that we'll recommend for you. But this is not it. But you know what he does? He spends 20 pages of his 1,245-page book on the word show to prove to you and me. 20 pages. Who does that? Who does a word study for 20 pages in a commentary? Please tell me, who does that? Nobody does that. But he did it, and his whole purpose was to show that the word show means visual visual images. God wants you to see Jesus. And this is such good news. It's such good news for us grouchy, rickety, crickety old people that think our generation is better than other people's generation. So you know where I'm going. Oh gosh, what is all the kids doing today? The Xbox social media generation, they're just so visually addicted. Well, kids, guess what? God gave you this book. And your parents should look at it too. It is a visual book. Visual. Why? Because God wants to show you Jesus to capture the totality of your whole being. That when you see him, you smell him. When you see him, you touch him. When you see him, you taste him. When you see him, everything changes. Look how John describes what's going on. Look at verses 1 and 2. He, Jesus, made it known by sending his angels to his servant John. Now, this is really cool. So the mediator is an angel who bore witness to the word of God. Now, notice just to 
further back up our point. That is the testimony of Jesus. So he's bearing witness to the Word of God. Well, what is the Word of God? That is the testimony of Jesus, even to all that he what? Saw. Sight before response. Forty times in Revelation it says John saw. The number one primary exhortation of Revelation is not trust God, obey God. The number one exhortation is look, see, (laughs) behold. When the original readers read Revelation, they were hanging on every word because it's being read to them out loud, and they're hanging on every word saying to each other, what does John see next? We are invited in Revelation to see what John saw, to experience what John saw. In other words, you and I are invited to see Jesus, to experience Jesus. Do you long to see him? Do you long to know what he's like? Do you long to have an experience with him? Guess what? Revelation is for you. And for those of us that don't, Guess what? Revelation is for you too. Because it's not about your response. You could be as cold as ice right now and it really doesn't matter because your response doesn't dictate the power of the Scripture. Sight does. Sight is first. Sight leads to life change. Sight leads to faith. Sight leads to worship. Sight leads to community. Sight leads to a church. Sight leads to making disciples. Sight leads to fill in the blank. But today, we don't do sight response. We do response, 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 and there's nothing there. Dr. Hannah, my professor, used to say it this way. We preach someone who's not there and tell them the whole sermon to trust someone who's not there. Revelation gives you Jesus and then says, do you see him? And notice when John sees Jesus, he just starts seeing, all he did was start, look, grace to you and peace from him who was and is and to come, seven spirits, which is the Holy Spirit, because it's a perfect number, fullness of the Spirit. There's not seven spirits up there. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn and the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, and all of a sudden he's worshiping to him who loves us. Sight before human response. So the prayer for all of us right now, oh God, open our eyes. Open my eyes. Paul's first prayer in Ephesians is, Ephesians is a little Romans, his first prayer is, Open our eyes, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. The leading terrorist at this time hated him, absolutely despised him. He was on his most wanted list. He wanted him dead. He finally found him. Reports came out that he was holed up in this dump of a town. So, quote, he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. 
But this man that was most wanted had a servant, and they had a, he had a great night's sleep. I mean, out in the country, in a nice little house. And, you know, it's morning, he has to go out and do his business like everyone would, and he goes out to do his business, and he freaks out because there before his eyes is an army surrounding them, staring back at them. And he runs back into the house, and he yells, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Uh, translation, oh, fill in the blank, uh, we're doomed. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. But Elisha says to him, <laughs> Chicken Little, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Well, I think Elisha needs some glasses, right? The text says, well, Elisha prays, and he says, O oh Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the text says, God opens his eyes. And what does this servant see? And he saw, just so we don't miss it, and behold, he saw, he saw, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire that had surrounded Elisha. Y'all, that army of angels was already there, had already been there. That was reality. The servant just didn't see reality until Elisha opened his eyes. Oh, my word. Let's go to war right? If you see him, there will be an end to running scared. Clouds in the Old Testament, look at verse 7. Clouds in the Old Testament always meant clouds that were raised by war chariots. So this image, verse 7, behold, look, see, he's coming with the clouds. Not he will come. He is coming, present tense. That means he is coming right now. He's here right now. He's present right now. It's not that he's sitting in heaven, passively waiting for some future date on his calendar to get up and move towards us. The text is saying, behold, he is coming. He is here. He's already overcome. He's already won. He is the victor. Look. See. Jesus is coming in victory. Jesus has overcome. Jesus has won. He loves you. That's the first thing we're told about Jesus. After we're told about firstborn of the dead, faithful witness to him who loved, present tense, he loves you. And then we're told he freed us from our sins by his blood. His blood has the power to free you from your sins. In fact, when his blood was shed on the cross in history, the dead came out of their tombs. That's how powerful it was. And a centurion who was standing there before it finally saw. So seeing Jesus, him setting you free from your sins, literally rattles the bones. And then look what it says. He puts you in a kingdom. So he's taken us out of the dark powers. He's put us into his kingdom. 
You have overcome. You have won. He's Lord of your shame. He's Lord of your sin. You have your foot on their throat right now. Do you see it? Oh, we need a better Elisha. Open their eyes. He has given you intimate access with God and the ability to serve him. That's already done. You don't have to sit here and worry about, can I serve him? Oh, I'm so sinful I can't. Oh, oh, I got to make sure I'm clean vessel and confess every known sin on the planet. It says you have it. You are a priest. You have intimate access, period, because what Jesus has done. And you can serve him, period, because of what Jesus has done. So no looking over your shoulder when you serve him. One of the hardest things that you'll hear preachers will say, some of the hardest things for a preacher to do is to preach something in the passage that's not true of him. Oh, I, I, we all lament that. What is a pastor to do? Well, there's only someone, someone else on the planet who that was always true for. And that's the only reason why I can stand up here, and that's the only reason why you're here. That's it. That's all we have. Right? Open our eyes, Lord. Why? Why? To see what's already there. 